Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a controversial plan to amend the state's constitution in an effort to close the achievement gaps in our schools, Minnesota's critical shortage of blood and platelet donors, and a conversation on gopher basketball with Mike Grimm and Spencer Tollickson. But first, it was a nail-biting week on the international political scene, and another international issue caused ripples on Minnesota's political scene. MNN's Bill Werner joins us with a recap. Scott, the U.S. and Iran this week stepped back from the brink of war, President Trump indicating the U.S. would not respond militarily after no one was harmed in an Iran missile attack on Iraqi bases housing U.S. troops, Iran's response to a U.S. drone strike that killed one of their top generals. The president indicated his administration will consider all options moving forward and... These powerful sanctions will remain until Iran changes its behavior. Minnesota Senator and presidential hopeful Amy Klobuchar said the president made a series of mistakes leading to instability in the Middle East. This president used disproportionate force and made a decision uh, that is going to trigger an escalation of the conflict. Klobuchar says the U.S. needs to continue working with its allies to further de-escalate the situation. Then making sure American personnel is safe. But the long haul is to get ourselves back into the Iranian nuclear agreement. Let's bring in our two top analysts for their take on where we are and where this could go. Hamlin University's David Schultz says for the president. It looks like a short-term victory but it is an exceedingly short-term victory. Uh, and let's think about it here. I don't think anybody thought Iran was going to directly fire um, missiles on U.S. troops. I mean, the, the missiles that were launched were over the U.S. air bases, I think more in a, kind of a, a saber-rattling approach. Um, but longer term, we need to be thinking about what's the next step in kind of this you know, chess match or cat and mouse game between the United States and Iran. Um, is the next step at this point for Iran to maybe um, go after um, somebody else like Israel? Is it to keep sort of shooting these weapons and trying to provoke the president of the United States? Those are possibilities. But think about something else. After the assassination um, Iraq parliament voted to expel U.S. troops from Iraq, if U.S. troops are actually pushed out of Iraq, this is a huge win for Iran because not only is Iraq even more destabilized, but it opens up a sphere of influence for Iran. So I would say that as of you know, within minutes of Trump's um, press conference and statements about the missile attacks, he's slightly ahead short term, but longer term, uh, he hasn't put together the coalition with allies. Um, he's alienated. Um, Iraq, um, Israel came out against the initial attack uh, assassination. So it is far from clear that he is the ultimate winner. That's Hamlin University's David Schultz. Carleton College analyst Stephen Shear's perspective. So far, it 
looks positive for the president. But Iran has a variety of ways to indirectly go after Americans in that entire region. And I think we'll probably see more of that. Uh, It may not happen immediately, though. In what uh, way could they do that? Well, they have a number of proxies, uh, guerrilla groups, insurgent groups in Syria, in Lebanon, uh, elsewhere in the Middle East. And uh, through these proxy groups, there could be attacks on American uh, installations and Americans. Do you see uh, any sort of direct attack on, on the U.S. out of this, though? You don't, you don't think that they would go that far? Well, I, the question is whether Iran is in a position to directly attack the United States itself. Yeah. Uh, if there is any action like that, it seems to me it will be through uh, uh, terrorist activities in various American locations. But so far, uh, we don't really have a record of Iran operating in the United States like that, so we can't at all be at all certain that that will happen. That's Carlton College analyst Stephen Shear. A political flare-up in Minnesota this week prompted by President Trump's executive order requiring county officials to vote on whether their particular county will or will not accept refugees. Republicans blasted State House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler, who tweeted after Beltrami County Commissioners voted no on refugee resettlement that, quote, Minnesota counties that want state aid funded in part by taxes paid by immigrants and refugees should reconsider votes like these. GOP Representative Matt Grossel from Clearbrook responded, county commissioners... They know their counties better than anybody else does. They certainly don't need somebody from the, the metro area telling them how they should be voting. Grossel accused Winkler of threatening retaliation by cutting off state funding. Winkler responded... We're obviously not going to take funding away from Beltrami County and hurt the very people who need it the most. The point of my comments was that the county board is hypocritical in asking for help from other parts of the state to deal with their financial challenges while simultaneously saying that they're not open or welcoming of others being part of their community. But Winkler also went on to say, I don't think it will be necessary for the state to be heavy-handed, but I think it's important that if communities want to have the support of state tax dollars, funded in part by refugees and immigrants, that they don't have the option of withdrawing to their own island when it comes time to welcoming people to their community. So you said you're not going to cut off state aid to Beltrami County, but if you you don't have to read between the lines too far to say that you're telling counties statewide that they better not go that route or there might be repercussions. At least that's what I'm hearing you say. This is an artificial conflict created by the Trump administration and the vote of three county commissioners in Beltrami County. The tradition in Minnesota is to work together, and I expect that we would be able to do that. I don't think that this would come to the point of crisis where we're actually turning away refugees. But if we came to that point, the state does have authority to deal with it. Uh, by requiring refugees to be allowed in every part of the state. That's Minnesota House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier hound chihuahua looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. 
You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, oh, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Controversy was sparked this week after two influential Minnesota leaders announced a proposal to change the state's constitution in an effort to close the achievement gap in Minnesota schools. Former Supreme Court Justice Alan Page and President of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, Neil Kashkari, say their proposed amendment would guarantee all children the fundamental right to a quality public education. But critics like Education Minnesota President Denise Speck say the plan won't work. I spoke with Page and Speck for a better sense of why they disagree and to see if they share any common ground on solutions to closing the state's achievement gap. Justice Page, if you could, first of all, maybe start off by telling me what the amendment to the Constitution is proposing. What we're trying to do is address in a way, in an effective way, the gaps in achievement between children of color and and poor or economically disadvantaged children and majority children. These gaps have persisted for decades, and what we have been doing clearly hasn't worked. Indeed, they may be getting worse. And um, Neil Kishkari uh, approached me with an idea that seemed to make sense. The, the idea is to amend the Constitution to give power to parents and families and to focus on outcomes as compared to the Constitution as it's reads today, which focuses on the system and the inputs into that system. But Education Minnesota President Denise Speck has some issues with the proposal. You know, our public education system is underfunded right now, and we don't need a court to tell us that. We know that. Um, What this proposed amendment does is it removes the mandate for the state to pay for public education. Um, And as I said, our schools are in a funding crisis right now. Um, I would be willing to bet that um, the school districts in your listening audience, many of them had levies on the ballot um, in November. How many of them have nurses? How many of them are having trouble finding teachers and recruiting them to stay? How many schools are without programs that um, their students need? I guess simply put, this um, amendment is not going to fix that. And I would say that underlying is the premise that, um, you know, this amendment would move the power from the state legislature to um, fund and provide a uniform public education system for all of its students to the courtroom. And we all know that what comes with courtrooms and decisions there is red tape, an extreme amount of time. Um, And it takes money to do that. How many people can afford to pay for attorneys to get decisions that often take a lot of time? 
I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that um, we have real problems in our schools right now. There are solutions right in front of our face, and we should be addressing those. With regard to the funding piece, Justice Page says he's not sure he understands what the concerns are. The proposal makes it clear, and I'll just read you the, the sentence. It is a paramount duty of the state to ensure quality public schools that fulfill uh, this fundamental right. The fundamental right being the right of all children to a quality education that prepares them uh, with the skills necessary to participate in our economy, our democracy, and society. I don't know how much clearer it can be that it is the state responsible for public schools, and the, the difference being quality public schools. In speaking out against the amendment proposal, Speck came under criticism from some House Republicans. Republican state lawmakers came up with a statement, and this is what they said, and I just wanted to get your reaction to it. You probably have seen this already or heard it. Uh, They say, this is from uh, Representative Ron Kresha and Sandra Erickson, Um, They say it's no surprise that you've chosen what they call a reactionary approach and opposition to a proposal that requires real results for all Minnesota kids in exchange for the billions of dollars we invest in our schools. Uh, And then they, they go on to say, rather than pouring money into a system that disproportionately favors metro school districts and funding pet pilot projects, we need statewide solutions. Wanted to get your response to that. Well, I would I respond in two ways. One is um, uh, Republican Senator Carla Nelson actually sees what we see. This is a solution that takes us right to courtrooms. Um, families can't afford to um, to have solutions like that. Again, it creates inequities. Wealthy families who can afford um, attorneys are going to um, perhaps see the results that they want leaving behind uh, families without the means. It also puts a burden on school districts. This could open up lawsuits for school districts. And as I said earlier, um, we already have a funding problem in our, in our schools, in particular rural schools. But back to um, uh, the uh, Republican statement coming out of the Minnesota House, I don't see um, how um, we're going to get to a funding solution when we take the state's responsibility out of the Constitution. On the question of potential lawsuits, Justice Page says... Under this proposal, the fact that some child may benefit from a lawsuit, whatever benefits would derive from that lawsuit would generally apply to everybody else. Number two, the fact that somebody else wins doesn't mean that you lose. I don't, I don't follow the, the rationale that because somebody else may do something which enhances the educational system that somehow other children will be disadvantaged. And, 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 and finally, ideally, lawsuits are a last resort. And, and to the extent that there are lawsuits, no matter who brings them, to the extent that there are lawsuits, if they go about eliminating these gaps, everybody benefits. Even though there clearly are some differences in a solution for closing the achievement gap, I asked Denise Speck if there is at least some common ground or a beginning point for the two sides to come together. What I do find positive is that um, 
uh, Neil Kashkari and Alan Page um, are well-known people in Minnesota, and they know um, people that I don't know. They bring a different voice to the table. So I would say that one positive is that they are um, highlighting the gaps that we all know that are there, and that's a good thing. It's a sentiment that Justice Page agrees with to an extent. You know, there have been a lot of people over the the decades that this has been going on who have made good faith efforts to try to solve these problems. What we've been doing hasn't worked. And uh, Neil and I feel that part of the reason is because the, the current Constitution focuses on the system and, you know, the inputs to that system. And that the, the, the shifting the focus to children and making uh, education a fundamental right for all children and a shift in focus to outcomes can really break down some of the bottlenecks and the log jams that have prevented progress. So having the discussion is, is uh, vitally important, but we hope to have more than the discussion, obviously. Thank you to my guests, Justice Alan Page and Education Minnesota President Denise Speck. We'll be sure to follow this story as it develops in the days and weeks ahead. Up next, Tasha Radel talks with the Red Cross about a critical shortage of blood and platelet donors statewide when Minnesota Matters returns. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The American Red Cross currently has a critical need for blood and platelet donors. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. This was the message hitting the airwaves earlier this week. This is an American Red Cross blood donation alert. The Red Cross has a critical need for blood donors, especially those with type O blood to give now. Joining me now to talk about the continued blood and platelet shortage is Sue Thasinga, communications manager for the Red Cross here in Minnesota. Sue, how can Minnesotans help meet the demands of the ongoing shortages? Well, the Red Cross is asking the public to kick 2020 off by doing something big. Give blood or platelets now to address the critical need for donations after the holidays. We do have a critical need for all blood types, especially type O, because that's the most used blood type. O positive is the most common blood type, therefore used the most. And O negative is the um, universal blood type, which can be transfused to anybody with any blood type. So we are asking the public for their help right now to help meet our critical need for donations. So is it normal to see these types of shortages so soon in the new year? It's not uncommon this type of year, time of year to have a decline in blood donations, especially over the holidays when people are busy with holiday activities. Um, seasonal colds and flu have hit us hard this year and winter weather. They all contribute to people not making blood donations on a regular basis. So they typically do decline, um, and now we have a shortage, and we don't want it to cause any delay in essential medical care for patients who need it. Well, Sue, for many, you know, it's the time of year uh, that we're making those New Year's resolutions and perhaps changing different lifestyles here in the new year. 
For someone who's thinking about donating blood on a more regular basis, what would you say to them? What steps can they be taking now to become more involved or perhaps give more often? That's really a great question, and a lot of people don't realize that you can safely donate blood every 56 days. So a lot of times donors donate once or twice during the year, and that is fabulous. But if they donated more regularly and more often, that would probably help us avoid situations like we're in right now. So again, you can donate whole blood every 56 days. We really encourage people to resolve to do something good this year, and blood donation is a very easy way to uh, make a resolution to help people in need. Um, Just call 1-800-RED-CROSS. Check out our website at redcrossblood.org or download our free blood donor app. It's very easy to make a blood donation appointment in a community near you, whatever works. And we really think that that's a great way for people to help out. It It only takes an hour of someone's time and it doesn't cost a dime. And this is so exciting. I understand that there's a big incentive for giving the gift of life over the next couple of weeks especially for football fans. Can you explain this partnership? That's right. We're really excited to announce that the Red Cross and the NFL are teaming up this January, Um, and we're encouraging football fans and blood donors to give blood. And as a thank you, everybody who gives blood starting January 1st through the 19th of this month will automatically be entered for a chance to win two tickets to the Super Bowl in Miami this year. Well, Sue, we're about out of time. Any final thoughts before we wrap up today? Well, I just want people to realize that blood is a perishable product, and the only source of life-saving blood for patients is the volunteer blood donors. So we're asking people to volunteer this year, be a blood donor, and help us uh, for prevent this from happening in the future. Thanks again to my guest, Sue Thasinga, Communications Manager for the American Red Cross here in Minnesota. Again, to schedule an appointment to give the gift of life, you can use the Red Cross Blood Donor app. You can go online to redcrossblood.org or by calling 1-800-RED-CROSS. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face arm speech time. That's F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Golden Gopher men's basketball team is in the heart of a busy time in a tough conference. Minnesota has nine Big Ten games scheduled in a 28-day stretch in January. 
And then sports director and radio voice of the Golden Gophers, Mike Grimm, sat down with his broadcast partner and former Gopher standout, Spencer Tollickson, to give us a Big Ten breakdown. We're here with Spencer Tollickson, and it's right before the Minnesota-Michigan State game. We're at the Breslin Center as we talk here for Minnesota Matters. Let's talk some Big Ten basketball. So we don't know the outcome yet of this game. We know the Gophers are an underdog as we begin, so let's base our discussion off of all of that. First of all, Spencer Tollickson, good to see you, former Gopher, Mr. Basketball in the state of Minnesota at Chaska High School. What year? Uh, graduated high school in 2004, entered the University of Minnesota. My first season was 04 and 05 and graduated in the spring of 2008 uh, from the University of Minnesota. What was it like playing in your home state for your hometown university? You know, it was it was fantastic. Um, for the obvious reasons, sure, my parents and family were close enough and friends they could attend the game. Um, all of our home home games, that is. Um, you know, for me, it, it was after the fact. It was after I was done playing. It was, was decided when I when it was when I decided to hang them up. Um, you know, I will never be able to pay back the university for what it's provided me within my personal life and my professional career. All the connections that I've been able to make. Um, there's, I don't think there's there's any doubt that I would not be where I'm at today from a pr- professional career perspective if it wasn't for the decision to stay home um, and to grow my network and build my brand in Minnesota. And it all started with, with deciding to stay home and to play for the Gophers. All right, let's talk about this team this year. Uh, Minnesota, a year ago, won a game in the NCAA tournament in Des Moines got knocked out of the tournament by this Michigan State team they're about to face here tonight. But they lost their number one scorer. They lost the, in Amir Coffee. They lost their number one rebounder and the best rebounder in the history of the program in Jordan Murphy. And they lost their glue guide to Premick McBarrow. So nobody knew for sure what was in store for this Gopher team. As we talk right now, Minnesota's 8-6 and six overall, 2-2 two and two in the Big Ten. Um, I think there's some things to be excited about. What is your take on this team now 14 games in? Well, you bring up a good point. They lost a lot um, with Amir deciding to go pro. Um, with Murphy, I mean, we, I think we got a, a bit spoiled as a fan base seeing Jordan Murphy for the last four years put up the numbers that he did. Um, you know, I, I think as I look at this team this year, I don't think anybody anticipated Oturu being this good. Like, I think everybody thought he'd be good, um, but to, to the fact that he is a legitimate contender and in the conversation of is he the best player in the Big Ten? Now, some would say the other. Uh, the guy on the other side of the court tonight in Cassius Winston probably will get Big Ten Player of the Year. I, I would think Michigan State should finish either right at the top or towards the top of the Big Ten. But I don't think anybody anticipated Oturu having the type of year that he's having, second in scoring, either first or second in rebounding, first or second in field goal percentage whenever uh, they, they take the floor. Um, and what, uh, as you look, this is one of those weird years. There are 12 teams in the top 53 of the net rankings out of the Big Ten. Um, and when you're talking about that, all 12 of those teams at some point can play their way into the tournament. So this Big Ten is balanced. Um, the interesting thing in the top team, Michigan State, in those net rankings is ranked eighth. So they don't have what you'd call like a number one team per se. But there's ample opportunity for quality wins in a 17-win season might be enough to get you in if you're the Golden Gophers. Yeah, you know, this year is a bit different. You mentioned, you know, there's 12 of the 14 teams in the top 50 of the net. Um, but, you know, even going to Northwestern and trying to win there. Now, Minnesota doesn't have to go to Nebraska. Northwestern and Nebraska are the two teams that will be left out of the NCAA tournament. But you said at the other 12, you know, any of those 12 teams is going to make the NCAA tournament. It's a great opportunity this year because of just that. There are a ton of opportunities, literally on a nightly basis. Even the Rutgers game, the Penn State game, 
you know, as you look ahead, those games in the past, they weren't viewed as, as, as great wins. Penn State, don't look now, a top 20 team. Rutgers, I think they're like 11-2, 12-2, something like that. So Minnesota's going to have plenty of opportunities to build um, that resume. And this is that type of year where they could finish with 16, 17, 18 wins, where in the past that probably wasn't enough. This year, if it's the right combination of wins, 16, 17, 18 total wins could get them in the NCAA tournament. Always fun to chat with you. We do it a lot. It's good to catch up, Grimmer. <laughs> All right. He's Spencer Tollickson, former gopher here on Minnesota Matters. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. And please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.